In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art in all places and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us from every stain and save our souls, O gracious Lord. Amen. Amen. How we doing, gang? You all right? So, Father Rooney, Father James Rooney and I, I've told you that we would be teaching through this series that we're calling The Kingdom of God is, is Near to Us. That we'd be teaching it together, and we most certainly will. But I really would covet your continued prayers for Father James. Both he and Korea Grace had a minor setback uh, with COVID. And uh, uh, Father James had developed an infection in his lung and so on. Thank God uh, they, they've got it under control. They are both on the mend by your prayers and by God's mercy. But please continue to pray for them because Father James will actually, he's going to bring to the table a couple of teachings in succession for us as soon as he feels better. They're going to be very helpful to us in understanding making the tie because it's, it's critically important that we all make the tie between the garden experience of man with God and what Jesus Christ incarnate has brought to us another opportunity to be back in that same kind of fellowship in the garden. We're going to talk a little bit about that today, but Father Rooney's really going to flesh this out as soon as he's able to come back, and I'm looking forward to that because we've talked about it, and it's going to be very helpful to us. So again, keep them in your prayers, okay? So just a little recap of last week so that we can kind of keep building, all right, from week to week. We sought to begin answering the question to the problem of the two-story universe. Remember that two-story universe where God is upstairs and we are downstairs and we have this separation. And we started saying if the two-story universe is to collapse, the secularization of our faith is to collapse into a one-story universe, what's it going to take for this to happen? How is it that we need to posture our lives to truly experience God who is in all places and fillest all things as we pray in truth with that prayer. We're going to be praying every time, the prayer to the Holy Spirit. And we mentioned that a couple things are going to be necessary. And we've used the words from blessed St. Paul to us from Romans in chapter 12 when he said, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. That is the thinkings. Patterns conform us. Habits make us, or I should say habits can also unmake us if we're in habits that are unhealthy, okay? Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Don't let your whole mind, your whole self, your body, your mind, and your spirit be conformed to these habits and the way of the world and the way that the world perceives everything. Rather, be transformed, St. Paul says, by the renewing of our minds. Remember what that means, renewing, our minds being made new again. And the church fathers really helped us in understanding what our mind is when the script, when St. Paul is saying be renewed in our minds, our mind is that within us that receives all the input. 
It's like the filter. It filters it all. And then we perceive things and respond to things by the judgments of our mind. It is our mind itself that must be renewed, changed away from this two-story universe God to reprogram through better and healthy rhythms and habits that the church gives us so that now we perceive reality as it truly is, not how we've been deceived. How many of you have seen The Matrix? It's the same kind of deception that The Matrix speaks about. Here they are in this real world, but the real world as they perceive it is not the real world that they truly exist in, right? They exist in this futuristic, horror-filled world where uh, humans are being used as batteries for robots, right? I mean, it's this, it's, but the concept is, is exactly what our deception is. The patterns of this world program us to see this life in a certain way, and it's flimsy. When we find the renewing of our minds going on by the Holy Spirit and through our relationship with Him, all of a sudden we see things clearly, and rather it being worse, it's much better. And our, our, our lives begin to be filled with the wonder of God. In every waking moment, it could be and is possible because Christ has returned us to that garden state. And those healthy habits we barely mentioned last week, but those healthy habits, we find all the healthy habits we need in the rhythm Christ has given in the church and the prescriptions that Christ has get, had given us in the spiritual disciplines. I mentioned to you last week, Brother Lawrence's book, The Practice of the Presence of God, where he learned to literally put into a new habitual practice everything that he did in the most mundane things of his daily journey. He put into practice the very presence of God around him. You see? And I read to you this quote from him that said, The time of business... The time of business does not differ with me from the time of prayer. He experienced the blessed fellowship with God in the washing of pots and pans in a kitchen. And he said, I experienced Christ there with the same reality as I experienced Christ in the blessed sacrament of the Holy Eucharist. For God is always present with me. This is how he lived, as if God is always present with me. You know, I gave everyone an assignment last week. I said over the next couple of weeks, but one of the things we wanted to do is do something out of the ordinary. Let's even get beyond the mundane. Get out of our house. I mentioned to you, go to a place of, of, of beauty, something that's beautiful, whether it's indoors or outdoors, and go around and look to see if you can't see the revelation of God in what he's created. I gave you the testimony of, of that one time in, in the silent retreat that I went, went on, and I looked at all of the blessed trees and gorgeous oaks with Spanish moss and every petal of the flowers being different. And what did it all declare to me? The presence of God, the glory of God, His handiwork. And my friends, somebody, and I'm glad they emailed me this in case I don't want any confusion on this. My friends, we... God is not in a tree. He's not in a flower. That's pantheism. The worship of nature or the finding of God. No, no, no. Rather, the tree declares to us the reality. His creation proclaims His, na his nature. 
and His closeness to us. In fact, we look at nature and all things that God has created, we look at nature as an icon, an opportunity through which God may reveal something about Himself to us. How many of you, it's okay, not to embarrass, I'm just curious, because you've got plenty of time to do the little assignment I gave you. How many of you did that this week? Just curious. Good, good, a few folks. Anybody want to share any how that went for you? Anyone? Karen? Yeah. Of creation of the grape. Thank you. Yeah. Thank God. Gary? child of God, getting back to who you really are. And from child of God is how we learn to be father, husband, you see? Very good. I had one, um, very brief, right here on campus. If you don't think this is a beautiful place, get your eyes checked, right? Um, but during the week, I had a parishioner who was really struggling with something. And I was really with them in that struggle, so I was feeling that burden that they were struggling through. And I really just needed to break away for a moment to get God's perspective. And so I just went for a walk around our campus. And I just prayed and was seeking God's mind on things, but also just Him showing me through all the beauty He's created right here on our church campus how near He really is. And that helped detox me of the burden where I'm not walking. You know, one of the struggles for all of us as Christians, when we come along someone who's suffering or choosing patterns that are detrimental to them, when we come alongside them, one of the problems is we tend to get burdened, but burdened from our humanity rather than burdened with the heart of God. And I find that when I'm burdened with the heart of God, I'm less bogged down and more prayerful for them as I walk along with them. And there's more peace in the journey of walking with someone through suffering when I am walking with the perspective of God. So our Lord, as I walked around, made his presence very real to me and helped me see his perspective and how to pray for this blessed child of his. You see, it doesn't have to be two hours long or a four day silent retreat. My friend, we can experience the living God who wants to share himself with us every day in the very basic moments and the very basic things we struggle with in the day. This is what we're after is that experience of him and his kingdom all of our days, not all of our days, all of the moments of our days, you see? And so I encourage you, if you haven't yet done that little thing, get out and about, break from the norm. Cause sometimes a good break from the norm really helps us establish new norms. So get a break from the norm but it was that fellowship with God. And this is where we're going to springboard into what we're going to look at today. We talked about our minds needing to be renewed so that we perceive things as our real, 
that Christ has inaugurated his kingdom here on the earth. Okay? But now we need to go to the next step to see what does it take for the renewing of our minds to take place. And we have to come to the conclusion of what all of our blessed fathers in the faith have said forever, and that everything good and every transformation of our soul comes from one thing and one thing only, our fellowship with God. And I want us to look at the idea so that we rightly understand fellowship with God and what's available to us. That's what we're going to look at today. So let me ask you a question. When I say the word fellowship, and don't think just fellowship with God, I'm just talking about the term itself. When I say fellowship, what are some of the first things that would pop into your mind of, of fellowship, how you see it, how you've experienced it? Hmm? There's no wrong answer here. We've all experienced fellowship. How do you see fellowship? Who's raising their hand? Yes. Huh? Friendship. Okay. Very good. Oh, a feeling of belonging. That's good. And what? Interaction. Good. What else? A companion, intimate companion. Oh. Others? Yeah. Oh, communication. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Time. Time. Huh? Togetherness. Which we missed for a while, didn't we? Sharing. Time to share. These are all excellent. If I could take them all and lump them in and more, we're on the right road here to understanding what has been given to us through Christ and the Holy Spirit in fellowship with God. Let me help you with a story to understand fellowship as it's mentioned in Scripture. When it comes to fellowship, our fellowship as the body of Christ and the fellowship that we share with the Lord our God. Okay. I had a friend who was a mentor of mine for quite a while. He was an excellent biblical teacher. His name was Malcolm Smith. And Malcolm got asked to go teach in the Middle East at some Christian churches in the Middle East. And he went to teach, and he was there for five days, and they scheduled him for teaching four nights during that week. And here's what happened. Each night after he would teach, there was a man who had a family that would come up to him every night, and he would say, Malcolm, would you come, please? Come to our house, have some dinner with us. And Malcolm, each night, would very nicely refused because he was exhausted from jet lag as well as just being exhausted from the day and the ministry. He said, I, I need to get some rest. Thank you so much for offering. I'm, I, I'm taken care of. And so he would go home. This would happen for the first three nights. The fourth night that this happened, this man and this, this man comes up to him and Malcolm could tell that he was dejected. He was hurt. And he said, Malcolm, would you please come and have dinner with us? And Malcolm said, is something wrong? Have I offended you in some way? And he said, it's not so much offense. I just don't think you understand the nature of the invitation. He said, here in our culture, here in the Middle East, 
when we invite someone to come and sit at table and eat with us, we're not inviting them to come and fill their bellies and go on their way. We're inviting them to become part of us. That when we share a meal, when we share a meal, we're sharing ourselves. My family, to share ourselves with you, we would love for you to share yourselves with us. In that, Malcolm realized the Americanization of our understanding of fellowship, although we've answered some really good ways about it. But the Americanization of fellowship compared to the true fellowship that is to be amongst the body of Christ and the body of Christ with their beloved Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. What he saw is that this fellowship through a meal is the sharing, the intimate sharing of self, one with another. You see this? Are you seeing this? Now go even further. What is our covenant meal that we share with our Lord? The Eucharist. And when that meal is set and the invitation goes out for us to come, it is our Lord, just as that man was, inviting his people to come in so that he can share himself with them and they can share themselves with him. Do you see this? This is the wonder of the fellowship that has been made available to us with God, both as individuals, beloved children of God, but also as the one body of Christ with their Lord every time we gather together and he is there in our midst, which he never is not, filling us and filling all things, right? The word for fellowship most used in Holy Scripture that means what we're talking about is oftentimes it's pronounced koinonia. It's koinonia in the Greek, which doesn't matter how we pronounce it. It's more that we understand what the word means, right? So when we see fellowship, fellowship with God, fellowship with one another in the breaking of the bread and all the other scriptures that use this word, this word koinonia is a beautiful prism word of meaning. Again, it's got multiple ways to think about it. We're just going to look at two um, this morning. The first meaning behind this word fellowship is joint participation in relationship. Joint participation in relationship. Sharing of complete self with another and receiving the other's self into ourselves. You see that? It takes two to tango. You ever heard that? Relationship with Christ is a tango. God is ever moving to share himself with us, and he's ever drawing us to open ourselves up to share everything we are, good, bad, ugly, broken, in need of fixing and healing. He invites it, right, as he pursues us and comes to us. It's a movement of love toward one another. In fact, this very word, kononia, perfectly describes the very existence of God himself as Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the church teaches, three distinct persons. Three. And yet they are so moving together, sharing self with one another, wills bending to one another. Hmm? You see the oneness? The oneness is the result of the fellowship. The result, the oneness of the mind of God, Holy Trinity, the reason we call him one God is because the three dwell eternally in koinonia, this blessed fellowship. 
And if you understand something, that every way that the human person has been created and all of God's creation on the earth, we were made in the image of God. Therefore, we were made for what? Say it. Kononia. Fellowship. We were created to share ourselves and to receive another. You see? It's a beautiful, beautiful word and a beautiful picture. And in our relationship with God, we remember the words of St. Peter that we are given to be participators with God in His nature and that participating in the nature of God, what we call our salvation, theosis, that participation in the nature of God is only the result of our fellowship with Him. can only be accomplished by our fellowship with Him. You follow that? and all of our fellowship together in Him. There is not a Christian alone. We were made for community. It is our brokenness from the fall that causes problems in community. And as we are healed by Christ, the unity of the Spirit in the community grows, and therefore we are becoming like Him in totality, not just as individuals. Are you seeing what I'm saying? It's beautiful. Why is it beautiful? Because it's what God, it's who God is. It's who God is. So joint participation in relationship. That's one aspect of that word for fellowship. The other one is this, and someone said this word, intimacy. How many of you know in this world there is extraordinarily broken intimacy? And there is healthy intimacy. And the two exists. And we need to watch out for the one. We need to watch out for the one. But my friends, this intimacy we were created for from the very, very beginning. In This intimacy in relationship to God and intimacy in relationship to others. Look at the creation of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created to exist, to become like God. And they were existed. They, had, they were their own little community, Adam and Eve. And think about the blessedness of when the two were truly made one. God even shared his ability of creation with them. You see, this existed right there, this intimacy of union, sharing of self towards becoming like God was there. Even our experience of fellowship with one another in the body of Christ, we have got to understand that that fellowship with God is the core, is the root, is the foundation, and the only way that we can truly enjoy the fellowship He desires for us with one another. It's all founded from our fellowshipping with Him, sharing ourselves with Him. He shares Himself with us. We become, and as we become, now we all collectively can become one without barriers, without these struggles, without things that keep people at bay because we're afraid for somebody to know this about us. You know how we play these games in the fellowship. But it's not how it was designed in the garden. Speaking of the garden, let's take a look at the garden fellowship that Adam shared with his creator, God. Because I think it's important for us to know, and Father Rooney is going to go much further with this, but we need to touch on it here because it has to do with both fellowship and the result of the fellowship that man shared with, with God in the garden. You hear me say often that God ordered the entire universe with this world formless and void as it was. And then he created the intricacies of the order and the environment of this world. And he did all of this, creating the universe, creating this world for one reason. 
to put man who would be created in his image into it, to give him that order so that man could have fellowship with him. The greatest desire that God had in the creation of the entire universe, you got to get this, is to share himself with man. You think of the wonder of the universe, the things we can't even comprehend about the universe, all the things that must play together in the order of the universe for anything to even exist. And he did all of that so that he could share himself with you. And I'm not speaking anything but the truth on that, and I don't back down from it. This is how much God longed to share his reality with you, to give you everything. And in the Garden of Eden, there was a movement, a dance of fellowship between Adam and God, and of course Adam and Eve and God when she would be created. Or even go there. Again, we talk about God creating everything to share himself with us. Can you not see how big of a movement of the sharing of self, of fellowship, kononia, right there at creation? I don't think anybody can move anymore to share oneself with a human creation than God did when he created everything and placed man in it. And when he did, he designed from that fellowship that man would become like him. We have a perfect example of how God and Adam are walking as father and child. God, up to this point that I'm going to mention to you, God had created everything, absolutely everything, and he named everything from the sun, the moon, the day, the night, all many of the different fish of the sea and so on and so forth. God named them, meaning he gave them their identity. When God gave a name, it gave that creation its identity in the order that he'd created, including when he named Adam and Eve. When he named Adam, it, you know, Adam means from the dirt. We all know that men are dirt, so we know how accurate that God was, right? But he did. He named and gave identity to it, to each living creature. Did so with Adam. But now listen to what he does in Genesis chapter 2 as he's bringing Adam along to become like him from that father-child fellowship. Verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man, Adam, to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. Do you see how God is doing what a father would do? He's taking Adam. Adam would have witnessed some of this naming, and he, God knew what he was able to do to give identity to things created. And he brings Adam in along. He said, Adam, do what I've been doing. I've shown you. You do it. You see how he is sharing something incredible with man? The ability to bestow upon what God had created, its identity. He's teaching Adam to do and to be as God is and God does. Do you see that? This is right there in the garden. How would this happen? The mutual sharing of self between Adam and God is the only way Adam would grow to the perspective that God had and do the things that God does. And this is what we've been invited into. 
And if Christ's incarnation, coming to earth and bringing His kingdom with Him here, is the path to restoration in paradise, then we have got to see that our path given to us is the path of this fellowship with God, this mutual sharing to the same end, that we take on His mind, we take on His perspective, and we take on His actions that come from what we've become because we become like Him. Therefore, anytime a work of mercy has been done through us, it's because we, we have allowed ourselves to become like God's mercy. You see? This is how that relationship is. And I will tell you, if you want to know the very mind of God as to how intimate He has created this fellowship to be between Him and His creation, then you need to go and read the Gospel of St. John in chapter 17. When our Lord Jesus Christ, just before He's going to go to His Passion, He prays what we would consider His final prayer for His disciples. And not only His disciples that were following Him then, but also his disciples that would come through the, dis the disciples that were currently present with him. You want to know what God's desire is for his people, the church? Read St. John 17. Let me give you just a little bit of it. But read the whole thing. So Jesus' prayer begins praying for the protection of his current disciples. That's the first part of his prayer. But then it launches beyond them. And he begins to pray specifically for those who will come to him through the disciples. And I want you to listen to the prayer. Not the whole thing, but just part of it. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me. And I am in you. Now listen to the next part of the sentence. May they also be in us. That the world may believe that you've sent me. You will spend the rest of your life having this incredible, wondrous, loving heart of Christ and what he has afforded to us opened up to us. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? And he's not, this is not just a prayer of Christian unity among themselves. That is part of the prayer, but it's infinitely more than that. Jesus says, Father, let them be one as you and I are one, inseparable, joined in perfect union, never separated from one another. And then he says, may in the same way that I'm in you, Father, you're in me in the same way, let them be in us. That will blow your spiritual mind for the rest of your life, and you need to let it. Because this is Christianity. What I just read to you is the only Christianity that there is. That we exist in such fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit share among themselves. You see that? It's such a weighty thought. It's such a thought that ought to draw our minds to wonder that God shares not only all that He's created, but He shares His entire self with us. 
joint relationship movement of the Trinity to us sharing the entirety of it. And we're called to move towards him in response of that love to share every bit of us. And there the relational dance takes place for our salvation. Let them be in us as I'm in you is what he's saying. And then he prays further. I've given them, Father, the glory that you gave me. Did you just hear that? I have given my people who come into me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, your son, that they may be one as we are one. I in them as you are in me so that they may brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. My friends, when the body of Christ exists fractured because of our pettiness and our unwillingness to go to God and allow him to heal us, when the body of Christ's fellowship is fractured, God cannot be fully revealed. It is only in the unity when the human person is healed by their fellowship with God. It is only in that unity and the healing that comes from that unity that the body of Christ can exist that brings joy to God, that is precious to Him. How blessed it is when the brothers dwell in unity. You see? Only when we are allowing ourselves all of our days to be healed by God, then we, the whole church grows in His likeness, not just we as individuals. And He manifests His reality. The desire of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the desire of God is to be clearly seen through His body on the earth. Do you hear Jesus' prayer? Jesus would go even further a couple chapters before to tell us the reality of this, giving us a wonderful example when He would tell us the parable of the vine and the branches. In this parable, our Lord reveals the entire design by God to save man, that man might be able to experience and declare through their very being the entirety of the kingdom of God in each of us. It's in this parable that from union with God, we see that each of us blossoms from that fellowship, blossoms with all of the blessings of the kingdom of God. That's where, you know, you, you want to become a fountain overflowing, then you better be tapped into the source. Right? And we see this in the parable of the vine and the branches. And Jesus is using something in the vine and the branches that everyone would have known at that time in the realm of horticulture. Okay? They knew a lot of things back then. We think we're so smart now. We, we have a few new toys, but they were just as smart as they were back then when it comes to things and the, re the revelation of how things worked in creation. And they understood some things about horticulture. And Jesus uses an example in the parable of the vine and the branches. He uses an example of taking a dead and lifeless, this is very real today, you can ask any horticulturist, a dead and lifeless branch that had been cut off from whatever it was plugged into in the beginning. You can take it and plug it into a living vine of a different species of vine. In grafting it in so it stays in place is critical. And what happens is the life sap of the vine enters into the dead and lifeless branch of a foreign species. And it brings the branch back to life. And that branch does not bear the fruit it used to bear. It bears the fruit of what it's engrafted into. You see? 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so this is the image that Jesus is using when he says these words. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me. There's that oneness, the invitation to that oneness. And I will remain in you. There's his movement towards us. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Some branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You see, this is what liturgical prayers are. When we pray the liturgical prayers, you understand they're given to us from the mind of God. When we pray the liturgical prayers, we're not guessing, we're praying His will. And when we pray His will, and our will is joined to Him, there is the manifestation of the will of God and His will is done. You see? If you remain in me and my words remain and you ask whatever you wish will be done for you, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I'd like to read from you St. Cyril of Alexandria's teaching on that very parable. It has everything to do with the fellowship that we must attain to, to experience the fullness of the King and the kingdom of God in our lives. St. Cyril of Alexandria said this, He wants to show us how important it is to love, to hold fast to our love toward Him, and how much we gain from our union with Him. This is why he says that he's the vine by way of illustration. Those united, anchored, and rooted in Him, who are already partakers in His nature through their participation in the Holy Spirit are the branches. For it is His Holy Spirit that has united us with Christ the Savior, since connection with the vine produces the choicest of things that belong to it. And our connection with the vine holds us fast. From a firm resolve in goodness, we proceed onward by faith and we become his people, obtained, excuse me, obtaining from him the dignity of sonship. He says that he is a vine, the nourisher, as it were, of its branches. For we are begotten of him and in him, in the spirit, to produce the fruits of life. Just as God spoke His Word and breathed His Spirit, creating life into this world through the body of Christ, if we will be one with Him and one with another, He will speak words of life that will bring life out of the death of this fallen world through His body, you and I. Ask yourself a question. Don't answer this out loud right now. Why do we limit our understanding of who we are in Christ. Now, I could give you, all of us would come up with a thousand different answers, and there probably are in each one of us, that God is lopping off one by one so we truly are opened up to the true Christian existence and salvation and experience of His kingdom. Sometimes we don't 
we limit how we see ourselves as a person or as the body of Christ because of our own self-perceptions of how ugly we are inside. And we dare not let it out. But when we dare not let it out, we must understand that we fail to bring it to Christ for healing. Our self-perception because of things done to us or choices we made in this life. There's so many reasons that we douse. I think sub, I don't even think consciously sometimes that we douse the true reality being opened up to us about God and His kingdom and His desire for this kononia fellowship with Him and what can come from it, you see. But we need to examine this in ourselves because the rest of our life is unbecoming out of how we perceive ourselves and becoming how He perceives ourselves. That's the freedom Christ offers, freedom from self, more than anything else, you see. My friends, if we will be on this trek of salvation, this journey, if we will truly go back and let Jesus' prayer be prayed over us every day, growing in the knowledge of what it means that Jesus prayed for us to be one with God as He is one with God and is God. What will happen is we will begin over time to continue and grow in the blossoming of the fruit and the very kingdom of God itself in our lives. To what end? Think about this. If every one of us in this room is blossoming with the kingdom of God, what are we all experiencing together? The kingdom of God that's blossoming through each one. This is God's desire for His church. Why? So that when we come and gather together and we have a lack of peace because of something that is going on, when we pass the peace in that room, we're not passing words, we're passing the peace of Christ that He longs to give us through human voice. That is what the passing of the peace is to be. You see? We become ministers and distributors of the kingdom of God unto salvation amongst one another when we are living and dwelling in such oneness and fellowship and kononia fellowship with God. You see this? I should say, do you see a foundation to see it more? Right? Very good. Very good. Let's leave it on that. Let's stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you all.